turned out to be completely unreliable assholes. <laughs> Hello, Tim. Well, and hello, everyone. Welcome to Dismembering Horror, episode 149 of Dismembering Horror, the podcast shoe where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan. That's right. We talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror film. We are sorry we cannot hear what worked or did not work for you, but that's just how this works. But please tell us someday. Yeah. Tell us after the fact. We're just sorry you can't be here, even though you're here. And we are on a quest for the sight unseen. We are on a dearthly dive into the darkness we, uh, we like to dig up all that can be uniquely dug up from viewing and discussing horror. And we traveled back to one of our favorite decades for this week's film, Night of the Demons from 1988. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure one of us put this on, put this in the hat after watching In Search of Darkness yeah, Part 1. For sure. I don't know if it was me or you, but I... That's that. Yes. Yes. Without a doubt. <laughs> exactly. Um, how's it going, Tim? I feel like we just crossed from not summer to summer here in this weekend. <laughs> Seriously, it's hot now. Yeah, we're in we're in hot LA. That's right. We're recording live from Hollywood, baby. So greetings <laughs> from Hollywood, whether you be in Berlin, Kentucky, and anywhere in between. We're where, glad you're here. Where this film was filmed. Yes, we're where this film was filmed in Los Angeles, including that beautiful uh, mansion that they had a shot of, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, great. Well, to get into it, Tim, do you have anything else or do you want to watch the trailer here? Um, do I have anything else? No, I don't think so. <laughs> great. <laughs> well, let's watch the trailer then for, as I said, from 1988, Night of the demons. A full moon. A spooky, deserted mansion. Halloween night. All right, dudes! And it does. Let's party! Ten kids. All they want to do is raise a little hell. Now, as long as they live, they'll wonder what's gotten into them. Night of the Demons. Night of the Demons, directed by Kevin S. Tenney, written by Joe Augustine. Stin, Steen, Augustine, 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 Augustine. <laughs> Those guys, great. Well, yeah, Tim, so, so great, so great. Who wants to go first, Tim, for our rating system? Sucks. It's a stream, though. You know. I, so you want to go first? I'll okay. go first. <laughs> <laughs> I want. I just want to say that this movie is terrible. But 
it's it's the most quintessential uh in my proverbial or uh, hypothetical party that I'll have one day, this is the movie that you put on with no sound in the background. Just playing. Or some sound. Nope. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's just on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the one. But this movie sucks. (laughs) So then would you tell yourself to avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it? And pointing out, you would need to do one of the later two probably for the party. I know. Oh, God. I mean, I guess stream it. I mean, I, yeah, just, I hope you could stream it. I, I, I would not, I don't want to spend money on this thing. Not even for a party. You know what I would do? I would ask somebody else who likes this movie to bring it. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of people you want at this party anyways. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Great. So you still <laughs> mad respect to the Night of the Demon fans, right? Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I know a few people who are like, it's my favorite. <laughs> I'm like, what? Okay. I don't, cool. I, I thought this could be, so I thought this could really be your cup of tea, Tim. I'm, I'll be curious to hear what it's mm, missing. It's, it, it's got, it's got some of the things, but I feel yeah, like for it you, it never gets there. It has to actually have good like aspects too. It does. I, I don't think this movie is devoid of good aspects, but certain, certain areas. Yes. For sure. Okay, so for my rating, for our rating system, I would tell myself, I kept telling myself during it, I don't know, I kept going back and forth. I was a buy it pretty much until the last chunk when I wanted to say <laughs> wow. rent rent it more. Just maybe it just slowed down for me a little at the end. Um, or like it wasn't the it, big, big payoff exactly. that I was wanting or something. Exactly. That's a huge part of my But issue. at the same time, expectations won't be there a second time. And like, mm, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll save it for what worked. But there's a lot that really, really worked for me in this movie that like is pretty imitable. Imitable. Inimitable. Imitable. Imitable. Yeah, you couldn't imitate it if you tried. <laughs> <laughs> um, got it so to get into that then uh, well we gotta do our summary get that out of the way is there really a summary for this movie of course some 28 year olds playing teenagers <laughs> <laughs> decide to go to get invited to go to a Halloween party by two women or two f- friends of theirs I guess um, at a, um, what's it called? Whole house. Yeah, whole house. Not hell house or hill house. Right. Whole house. And it's a uh, mor- mortuary. Mortuary? Yep. Yeah. Where, you know, dead people used to go. Um, pre, like before they got to the, the cemetery, they went here. Maybe they got cremated there. We'll find out. Um, so it's abandoned. It's haunted, it, uh, supposedly. The two girls who are friends, um, their plan is to scare everybody. They invite um, only the cliches of high schoolers from the 80s. Yes! Um, 
Uh, our lead, I guess, is... I don't even remember her name. My God. Judy. Oh, right. Judy. Alice in Wonderland. That's right. So she she's going as Alice from Alice in Wonderland. That's her costume. Um, and then you've got like the... Oh, God. The, the big dude who's just the worst human ever. Stooge. Yeah. Who wears the pig nose. Yeah. He's got an anarchy symbol on his he's sort of like i guess he's sort of the the punk rock guy he's if you were to classify them. there's there's usually like the quote unquote slob character for yeah. these things. yeah 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 um so in his car there's him um a girl who's so super nondescript who just gets just browbeaten by stooge constantly and called yeah. a bitch over and over again um <laughs> Who doesn't want to be there? Uh, <laughs> you know, like and um and the second to last oh no, he survives. The um the black guy. I mean the like the token that's this is so, so this movie is just a cliche. Um but the token black guy, um whose name is Gary? No, Roger. So Roger, so that's one trio, and then we've got um Judy and her boyfriend, um, uh, Jay. And then they bring Max and Franny, who are the most non-character characters you could imagine. Like, I don't even know what to think of them. I guess Max is sort of the, like, nerd? Yeah, he's just a weird, like, default. Yeah. And, And his girlfriend, Franny, is the token Asian um, Which we usually don't get a lot of token Asians at all. That's true. Um, but like, you know, really two, they've two-dimensionalized everybody in a pretty aggressive way, I think. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone. Not just the tokens. No, no, everyone. <laughs> um, oh, but and then that's, that's it, so, right? Like, yeah. and then the two, the two girls who are throwing the party, uh... Angela's the like gothy one. She's into all this stuff. She's the one who holds right. the seance and invites everyone. And then her, the other friend is what's the other friend? Suzanne. Oh right, Suzanne, Played who's by sort of like Linnea Quigley, overly concerned about her looks. So she would be, I would guess, the the kind of the girly girl. Yeah. And that's it. Like that's your. Am I missing somebody? That doesn't feel like very many people, but I guess that. Oh no, and then Sal. So Sal is the like the bad boy. <laughs> oh right. <laughs> hey, come on. This is the total like It is incredible guy. to me. This is off topic sort of, but like this, it's incredible to me how much that guy, I think his that guy's name is William Gallo. I think that's the actor. I might be wrong. But, yes. Um he looks exactly like uh the guy from 21 Jump Street, not Johnny Depp, the other one. Jonah Hill? No, not the movie. I mean, although he is in but the movie. Um, the, <laughs> oh, the TV heard. show. So uh, I've never his seen name is... Um, oh, damn it. What is his name? Uh, Richard Grieco. Oh, okay. Do you remember Richard Grieco back no, in the day? No, I never saw the show, so... Oh, okay. So Richard Grieco is like... In the 80s was like... He sort of had this... He's He's borderline a cliche too now, I guess. But he was like the tough Italian guy, but he was like the guy. He was like the young, pretty, tough Italian, you know, 
it's, with with like a heart of gold kind of thing. It's just so funny then that the guy who looks like him in this movie is the character's name. It's just so perfect. It says exactly. it all about this movie. Sal Romero. Like Right. It's like they it's so amazing how cliched it is. And like the I guess this is an interesting this is off. We're not in the summary anymore, apparently. But to me it's interesting that they're sort of taking they're going really far back into the sort of the archetypes, right? But they're using the Hollywood versions of these, right? Like by by making the Italian tough guy, although the tough guy thing, maybe not so much, but like Sal Romero, he's, he's I think, kind of a, a slight reference to like Sal Mineo, you know, who who was that kind of, he wasn't really a tough guy, but he, he was the Italian kid, yeah. you know? Um, anyway, God, what's the movie about? Oh, yeah, they open a portal to hell, I guess, accidentally. They have a seance. They open up a, a portal somehow. A demon gets unleashed and then starts um, one by one uh, possessing them, but collectively. Yep. And antics ensue. I mean, you know, it's just like Judy has to run away from them. <laughs> yep. That's it. What more could you ask for, I say? I don't know. A story? What do you mean? That's what you that is the story. <laughs> I mean, like I don't know, man. Something more. Well, let's find characters out. Characters that that make sense? I don't know. That would ruin this movie for me. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Some intrigue? You, well, we'll get into it. Well, then let's get into it. All oh, right. there's one element that I forgot to mention that's so critical to this movie, <laughs> to the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On this property, there is a brick wall that surrounds the mansion or the mortuary, whatever. And the legend is that that wall was built on a creek, essentially, a stream, whatever. And that is the boundary that keeps the evil spirits at bay. Yes. And it also keeps them trapped inside when they try to escape. That's right. So it's doubling down on can't get in, but you can't get out, I guess, yeah. if you're a spirit. Yeah. And if you're makes no sense, but a human, the <laughs> yes, the gate turns into brick wall. <laughs> that's right. You're locked in. Okay, that's it. All right. Then for our next section here, first big section, what worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? What worked for you? I mean, like how you describe the cast as the most, yeah, they're the most cliche you could get. I loved it so much. I love them. They're, it's it's just like what, how you put it, yeah, in the context of play this at your party. It's just so satisfyingly typical. It's like the kind of movie where, it's like the amalgam of all these other movies that you kind of imagine existing in your head. This is like actually it. And it was just so satisfying that it actually exists and isn't just this sort of like non-existent amalgam. You know what I mean? Sort of. <laughs> I don't know that I agree with you on how it impacted me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Right, where it's like we had demon wind, which, you know, is similar. I felt there was so there's so many sort of similarities and but, vibe sort of right, things going but on. Something about this casting setup that it's a house, that it's possession the way it is. I guess that was too. Um, that it's Halloween. It just feels like it's mm-hmm. taking even these these more um I don't know, just just known tropes or ideas and putting them into a pot together. It's great. Yeah. And uh, the cast, I mean, they were just so perfect too. I'll use the cast to curtail into the performances, which then curtails into the dialogue. I loved, <laughs> loved, loved. Like you couldn't, I think I'm just so in awe about this kind of like dialogue and acting because it feels like it's the kind of thing you couldn't do if you tried. Like That's interesting. Like yeah. Evil Ed feels like it was kind of the, you know, trying to make this kind of movie thing. Right. And it just doesn't work. You gotta, I don't know, The it has to be sincere to the filmmakers, which this still is. Well, that's what I kept wondering. I was like, this isn't a purposeful, like, the way that it's done is not, um, it's not satirical. Yeah, no, and it's exactly, but it's all the things I love. I don't know what word gets at it best, but I wrote down, you know, all these cheesy, campy, kitschy, yeah. like all those. That's what's what I said, imitable. You can't Well, one of the things it. is that, and I guess this is a thing that works because it's, it is this style, is that, it's written in such a way, the dialogue is written in such a way that no no real human being speaks in this yeah, way. Exactly. It's and like, so it's it's such a style in and of itself that if you like to write in cliche is really difficult. Like, I mean, I guess I don't know. I mean, it makes me wonder, like, do you think that the the writer was a, like, I guess accomplishing purposefully? I don't think so. Okay, you you said something really interesting there. How they're writing in cliche. We don't know if it's intentional or not. I think they're just like, yeah, you know, you have the this one and the that one, you know, kind of thing. Like, I don't think they're using the word cliche when they write this, you know? I agree. But as far as the dialogue and how um, how that interacts with their... The, the the characters, the cliches, the walking cliches, if you want to call it. It's really interesting because, as you said, the dialogue isn't something... It's not how people talk. Not at so, all. So let's say, for example, I remember it caught me at the beginning. We have this exchange between the little brother who's, the, oh, again, the cliche, bro. like, bratty little brother. He like, calls scaring, him a butthead. Yeah, calling the sister. It's so good. And then Sal Minio or whatever shows Romero. up. Romero. <laughs> Sal Romero shows up. And they have like, you know, he's trying to get the info on where his sister's going to be at the party. And the whole time the little brother is being, you know, he's being sarcastic to her. Why should I help you? But then he has a a line that goes something like, why should I help my beloved? No, no. Or why should I betray my beloved sister kind of thing? And it's not sarcastic, him calling the sister he picks on beloved. It could be. But forever, I like who it's sort of like who knows what it was written as intent, you know, what it was written as to be, if it was sarcastic or not. The little brother calling the sister beloved. It sounds, it, it's as if it just has a like jokey feel to it. And then when you see, and then the way he actually performs the line, it's not like he's being sarcastic no. at all. It's just, but it's all under this like stereotype 
delivery system of, huh, you think I'm going to do this? Why would I betray my beloved sister? Like, it's, wait, it's the same way that cartoon writing often is, <laughs> right? Like, it is a cartoon. It's a caricature. It's not even trying to be realistic. No, but I, I'm just trying to get it. There's a really interesting disconnect between the performances and like yeah. the sort of non-intent of the lines. That's just so satisfying to me because you're just like watching this actor, like, I don't know, just, just double down in some area. That's really just appealing and fascinating. Yeah. Like, I like could not get over the dialogue. Like anytime they spoke in this movie, I was just, I just loved it. I was so into it. I just, <laughs> I kind of understand why you're into it. And then, but then, but it's, I kind of don't. It extends <laughs> from the dialogue too, like, um, or well, it's in addition to like, like yes. the, the character actions and how they look, like the it, beginning when the they're so off. the the girls are throwing the two girls who are throwing the party are like robbing the liquor store, and one of them's like flashing from behind yeah. to like the the two workers at the store but the two workers they're t- it's like I, it, yeah like you you said maybe as a cartoon i always make that it's like the like an early comic book comparison or something it's just yeah there's well, such non people the way they're like staring at her and the and the way she carries out stealing everything it's but there's just something so fun about seeing real people like plug into this mode, whether it's action, dialogue, character, non-character. I, I love yes. it. It's interesting because we've now experienced many sort of levels of, oh God, how do you describe this? Like we've watched the original versions of this, the the ones that thought that they were being serious in like, I would say like the 50s, 50s and 60s, kind of did this, but earnestly. And so what it feels to me like is that this is people who grew up in the 50s writing a movie with the attempted depiction of what kids today are like, but they're they're sort of missing or or nailing, I guess, this heightened sort of non-real version of that depiction of kids. Right, as if they're taking their kids sensibilities from 50s 60s or whatever and like applying that sort of level of simplicity of you know or like one dimensionalness right right to these if you want to call them characters because like if you go watch like a, a a middling procedural from like 1960 it has this kind of stilted not real human dialogue stuff it's mm-hmm. it's it's its own weird genre of dialogue yeah and this kind of has that that feel to it and then you know 30 years later we see something like the dead don't die which is essentially making kind of a reference to this right well it's it's interesting yeah the, yeah that's a good a reference dead don't die is referring to then those those 50s 60s films this is caught somewhere in between. It's very but strange. Where this goes but, the extra cool. mile, though, because, like, let's say those 50s, 60s films, like we had 
thing from another world, which you say maybe the, the levels that the characters exist are the same, but the dialogue's like really snappy and engaging. That's right. So this feels way more like the distinction to me is TV dialogue of that era versus <laughs> film dialogue, which is, in, I don't know, interesting in and of itself. It's funny, though, because like, like beach blanket bingo kind of st- right. style stuff where <laughs> right. it's like, oh, that's how teenagers talk. <laughs> but it's like nobody has ever talked that way. No, no like ever. It's just this. But this it's is how people are. So it's like these weird layers of like era dependent on who's writing it and what their sense of reference is for I- them. For themselves, I guess. The the and the line that this these these actors, whatever the characters' direction rides, it it doesn't seem like they know, like, like those old things too. There's a way to sincerely do those kinds of you know level of characters, like where you're still putting a real performance behind it in ways. Mm-hmm. But this film, it always simultaneously goes between maybe effectively doing that in the more like obvious having to react to something horrible scenes, but <laughs> yeah. then also just totally like they have no idea how to deliver this weirdly written piece of dialogue. Right. And But it, it, it's so fun to watch them try and just, <laughs> because it's still like, it's like unique to them. I don't know. We've That's true. That's true. This. I will, I will, co- I will get behind the idea of watching the actors try to, I guess I'll use the same word, earnestly (laughs) say these lines. Like they're trying, but what it comes off as is pretty what we would largely consider just bad acting, but it's not bad in a way that makes you or makes me upset, which is really interesting. Well, it shows you, it's a good example of acting is all like what's the motivation because it's a sort of when the motivation is confused is when the it feels so weird. But it's also it's really yeah. That well, way. it fits in line with just the overall vibe of the movie. <laughs> well, it's it, so close to satire. Like yeah. it's so close, but I don't. It, it's this other thing. Well, yeah, because it does. It does. It feels like this isn't really giving them credit, but it feels like it. In whatever they're they're doing, they stumble upon these moments that just these horror moments that through the context of this like super typical Evil Dead ripoff story, yep. like that there these moments of just inspired just inspired moments. I just I think are so good. Like the standout midpoint sequence. You know what it is. Anytime there's anything like this in a film, it's always my favorite sequence, Tim. <laughs> Do I know what it is? Yeah, I said there was a similar one in um what's a recent one that is we watched? Is it the sex scene? No. The eyeballs? Uh-uh. Anytime, Tim, there's been a dance scene. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> we have strobe lights, baby. Angela's dance. Yes. Angela's dance, which is basically like it's the strobe light scene of horror films. <laughs> you know, it's just like they made a five minute sequence basically just on like, oh, well, what if we get a strobe light? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it's amazing. First, it starts with um, it's possessed Angela before, you know, her face changes or whatever. She's she, she's giving this. God, it's. It, it, I guess it's a seduction dance, but it's like she's also just so into like herself in the moment. 
and it goes from then the the um, the strobe light comes on after a first sort of like setup by the fireplace dance, but her her performance it's like for all that she wasn't able to do in giving a sincere performance in the dialogue, which I feel like you get the sense maybe she was frustrated mm-hmm. by that yeah. based on how incredible of a dance performance she gives here. It's like this. Um, well, and I mean, it's important to note too. the first two minutes of that dance, there is no music, right? It's but just her dancing. Amelia Kincaid is Angela Franklin. She, she gives it her all though. It's like a truly incredible performance she gives of just when you watch someone who's a dancer, who's completely like lost themselves in the dance. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's beyond just like a, a seduction thing, how it's kind of framed here. It's, um, I don't know. It, it's, it's watching an art form. It's really getting caught up in it. It's really incredible to watch. And then <laughs> when we get the strobe light enters into it and the music does kick in, Tim, like the music, it was, yeah, it was just as amazing. It got like really intense. I swear this whole scene was really trippy. Like it was different from the rest of the film. It got at this genuine, um, I don't know. It had this, it had this combined with her, the power of her dance, the discordantness of the like the sparse electric guitar and scraping sounds and all this stuff, the strobe light effect where you have like people popping in and out. Uh, I, I thought it was incredible. It was, it, it felt like the sort of the standout dream sequences in a lot of horror films. It felt yeah. like that to me. No, I'm with that. I'm with that. And it has the the great ending too, of course, where it ends with uh, biting her, uh, Stooge's tongue out. Yeah, that's probably one of the better gags too, in my estimation. Well, let's go through the other gags then. I think they're all pretty great. We have the eyes getting gouged out with the <laughs> yeah. demoness on top of him. Yeah, I was during like, the sex I was scene, like one of the <laughs> which was <laughs> so great. Gouge. Just what what made that scene though is I mean the eye gouge itself was great, but then what made it as a scene too was like she's saying "Don't look at me," right? <laughs> yeah, but that don't look at yeah, me. Yeah, the way it changes to the demon voice, like I thought, <laughs> "Don't look at me." I thought the demons' looks and voices in this they were actually really creepy. I don't know. I liked the design and performances underneath the yeah. demons. Yeah, sure. When their their eyes change, they're mm-hmm. floating down the hallway. <laughs> I like the floating. Yeah, Ugh, it's great. I don't know. I thought it was actually genuinely pretty creepy moments how the makeup looked because <laughs> that was another. That's another example of where they don't they aren't being stifled by this weird dialogue where they the actor right. can just summon evil on their part, you know, as as an actor does when playing a possessed person. <laughs> yeah, and they did it effectively. And then, of course, the other gag that I feel like is a famous one a lot of people remember from this movie is the lipstick through the nipple. <laughs> yeah. But in a magic demon sense where there's no blood, it just just kind of ploofs right through. Just a thing to do. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's, yeah, when you're putting the lipstick on the rest of your face and chest, you just end with bloop pushing it right in there well you got to put it somewhere yeah so it's a good place to you know stow it right um (laughs) what else the uh i like the coffin well they really do um the asian woman oh god what was her character's name franny franny they they do her 
dirty because like she could have had I, she gets a non-death and it's I think it's disappointing. I wonder she gets her head broken or her neck broken. Yeah. I wonder if originally they were gonna like twist her head off and they couldn't that'd be cool didn't have the time or budget to do that because that would have been great. But I agree, it was unfortunate. Yeah, she's kind of thrown away in just the not, an, a nothing death, and then the coffin arm slamming is is fun. Yeah. Although, well, whatever. I wanted to actually see the arm like getting slammed and and coming apart. <laughs> I thought we were going to see that. I really too. thought that was going to happen because later, one of my favorite moments of the entire movie happens when that dis uh, the severed arm, <laughs> dismembered arm. Yeah. Uh, grabs hold of Judy's leg, <laughs> <laughs> and she ends, she ends up kicking it across the room, and it's it's perfect. Right, the moment you see it there, just like holding onto her, <laughs> and the back of it's being held up by the string or yep. whatever. I thought of you with that part, like you'd like that. I did. That was so good. Boy, did I ever. <laughs> um, any other? Yeah, gags, deaths. I mean, Sal's yeah. death is. Nah, it's okay. Like it's a stunt, mm-hmm. and it looks like a stunt. Um, what I mean by that is, it looks like a a very quintessential '80s TV stunt: jump off the roof, land on the crash pad stunt. Um, and it's shot in that like, oh, I don't know. They probably slowed the the film down by ten percent. You know, to give it a little airiness as they fall. Yes, I love any good slow motion falls. I'm always a sucker for. Yep. Like when um when uh Judy's falling at the end, <laughs> yeah. she's falling like the eight feet, and it switches to like ah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know, yep. Um, <laughs> so who else? Uh, are we missing a death? What about mm. uh, Jay Jansen, the boyfriend? What happens to him? I forget. It's, he's the eyes. eyes da, da, da. Yeah, he's, he's the, the eyes. eyes. I think that's everybody who dies. Yeah. Um. Obviously, the other people. Well, I guess. Yeah, a- Angela and um Suzanne don't really die, which is interesting. They just get possessed, and then I guess they're dead. Yeah. And then we do have some make it to the end. I like that escape sequence where it's like. This is so funny in this movie, too, <laughs> where we have, um, it's Alvin. No, no, Roger. Alvin is the actor. It's Roger and, uh, wait, and then, and then yeah, Judy, right? Making yeah. it to the end. So they're trying to make it over the brick wall and all of the demon friends, they're there grasping at her, but can't quite get her down for some reason. Yeah. And then... <laughs> And then Roger, to keep us in suspense, he makes it to the other side of the brick wall. And it's so funny because I just loved this. Like, he's he's not really like, oh, should I help? Or what What am I going to do? And what is he going to do? He just kind of like plugs his ears and like like <laughs> looks away yeah. as if he can't stand hearing her death or he something. He spent a lot of the movie like cowering in different spaces. Yes. <laughs> and then... Uh, of course, though, he appears again on the wall, rescuing Judy just in time out of nowhere. Uh, it was really funny. I think fun. my favorite part about that sequence is that when they shot it, they clearly shot, you know, um, a setup where it's it's sort of a close up on him on the top of the brick wall. So he's like laying prone on it. His face is kind of, you know, pressing against it because he's reaching over the edge and they 
they cut to that quite a few times when he's trying to pull her up the first time. Yeah. And then he falls off. And the next time we see him, it's just, they just used the footage from the previous setup, right? Like they just insert this exact same position, exact same shot to depict a thing that's happening later, which it's just, it's an efficient thing to do, but like, maybe change his position up just a little bit so that it doesn't just look like we're cutting back to a previous moment. That's what was so funny, though, when it cut back. That's exactly why it was so funny when we cut back to it. It was more than just (laughs) like, a oh, he's saving the day. It was kind of like, oh, we're back. We're back here. here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that kind of stuff. There's a lot of filmmaking stuff that like I would generally say is bad filmmaking. But in this, it's it's the movie so it's how do you it. say it's bad right i mean it's technically maybe not but it's well that's why this section is what worked yeah it still worked for me <laughs> it worked for me that there's this thing that happens fairly often in this movie and it's an it's an editing i guess tech technique <laughs> i don't know if they, technique's the right word it's an editing choice <laughs> where Typically, at least in modern editing, I mean, this is true forever in editing. You don't want a lot of air necessarily between somebody finishing their line and you like then you cut to the other person who's responding. You don't want a lot of air in between the cut and the response because we don't pause that way in real life, generally speaking, and it feels stilted and weird. So it's like, if you said a thing to me, right, just say a thing. Tim, how's it going? Cut. Uh, it's going fine, right? <laughs> like you wouldn't, that, that, you would never have that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't cut to me waiting to answer you after you finished saying what you're saying, right? You would cut, you could cut to me and overlap the dialogue while you're looking at me waiting to answer so that once you finish i can naturally respond but this movie (laughs) just throws that out completely and so often you have a character finish a line you then cut to the other character and you wait for them to respond it even happens in scares where like They'll show somebody jumping out and being like, rah, and then they'll cut to the other character and there will be like maybe a second of nothing and then they react. And it's it's such a it's super weird and like it's a style. I don't know. It's just makes for this. It's almost like my first thought when I saw it was maybe they're just trying to lengthen the movie. Yeah, I wondered. Like they're padding out the movie by keeping these little beats in there. But then I was like, man, I don't think that's it. I think that's that they just think that that somehow adds to this, like the either the vibe or like the weirdness of it. I don't know. Whatever they thought, it works for this movie. (laughs) And I'm sorry, it would not work. It I've seen it in other movies, and you usually go, Oh, that was a mistake. Like they they missed that edit. But here it's just all part of his it's character just a part of it. and charm. I thought the first time I was like, oops, no. They it just keeps happening. I was like, oh, they've made a decision. You you gotta get they they did try in some areas though where they come up with some fun stuff. Like the they I'm did not, the they did the classic like um 
camera at the center of the table, like rotating in the middle <laughs> yeah. of them. Yeah. Uh, Listen, so that brings me actually, that's a good way of getting to the next thing. The reason I believe that that's very purposeful is because there is a ton of really good camera work in this movie and it's lit really well. Like it's super crisp. Um, it generally, I mean, there's campiness to it, but it's not poor quality at all. Mm-hmm. Like they had a budget. They had people who knew how to light and shoot and set deck and all of those things like, really well so it's not it's not a maybe this is why i don't like it in a way because if you have a movie that is campy i'm so used to the campiness being overlapping with low budget right that they're the part of what makes it campy is that they had to to make concessions and work around things and like be clever about it. And the low budgetness is what is adding to the camp. This is not low budget. Like maybe it was lower budget, but like this, this is a, it's a really clean movie. Like they had a, they had enough money to make it look good. They did. I, so, I think though in other areas, what you're saying is definitely present though from, like the opening title sequence, which just feels like. But I think that's. I think these are all style choices. Here's no, here's no, what. Wait, what, wait, wait oh, one, okay. well, then the one more. I, I don't see how you could see it with this one. The the like the matte painting of the house that I mentioned earlier when they're driving I, up to I it. I think it, this like, is style. Looked horrible, but looked good because it was funny and perfect for it. Here's my here's my theory. My theory is, is that they are trying to, they have money. I tried to find the budget and I couldn't find it. And that's telling to me too. I think they had money and they are attempting to make money off of the idea that this is a low budget horror film. That it's, that it's like the, it's, what's a good example of this in it? It's like corporations trying to look like mom and pops. I don't know, but at the same like lights are relatively cheap for making this kind of movie. <laughs> no, like, I mean that's 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 sort of not my point. My point is that it there's the the quality belies the content. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing necessarily. In in a weird way, it kind of worked for me. But that was my my take on it, I was like, oh, this is a different thing. I just, I think since I, since I, yeah, I think, yeah, it's overall pretty well done and how it's shot. I just feel like that's just a matter of the, the DP that they happen to get in the team. That like it can be. be kind of outside of budget, whatever, whatever, you know. But mm, I don't know. The part of also why I think this is because of the content. Mm-hmm. Like, and because of the time. It's 88. And there's something about the I I just I feel like they're they're going it's almost what Evil Ed tried to do but they did it a little a little more smoothly. They're they didn't go full into camp. They were like, "Hey, let's just hit this the sweet spot." And that was Evil Ed, you said, not yes, Evil, Evil Ed. Dead. <laughs> right. So, I don't know. I mean, I just think it's maybe this should have been in things of note. I don't know. 
because I don't really have much more that worked for me. <laughs> well, you liked how it was shot, I guess. I did, though. I was like kind of impressed a bunch <laughs> of it. And I was like, this seems weird for this movie. Yeah. Strobe light scene, man. <laughs> um, what did you think of the bookends? Did those? Oh, I found you? the budget. $1.2 million in 88. Great. Yeah. Did the, the bookends work for you? Oh, my God. No. <laughs> it was so silly, though. It is. It's too much. I just think it's stupid. Me too. But not stupid good. I mean, I, I just like stupid, I guess. <laughs> There's this really fine line between stupid insulting and stupid good for me. <laughs> and the bookends were stupid insulting. Kinda. Where I, I'm just like, no. But it's it's. Uh, I was like, who's this for? That that's that's kind of what kept happening to me. It was just like how it takes place at, on Halloween. It felt kind of like um. Uh, uh, trick or treat where it's just kind of these like just as a little spooky Halloween flavor to kind of yeah. bring us in and out of it. It's too tongue-in-cheek for me, I think. That's the problem with it. Mm-hmm. Like there's a really fine line. I don't know. With the with the, the wife at the yeah. end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, ho, 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 ho. Got him. Yeah. But like, I don't know. Th- this is an interesting thing. Like the the fine line that can be walked of camp and like and like uh willing suspension of disbelief where it's like obviously a, <laughs> I mean it is pretty amazing that a full razor blade is like working its way out of his neck but like it's too far for me of like just just a, it's too absurd yeah where if ah, but that's what's good about it it's like I guess, but it's, it's, like it's missing this, something to me we have this whole setup of the, like the urban legend the razor blades and the apples and the guy gets his own comeuppance with it but it's like we're like well okay yeah so you just kind of bleed a little in the mouth or whatever but then it's like no here it is right. full on like veins bleeding protruding from his neck it's all gnarly it was great I, and then the wife to be indifferent it's like it's, it's set up I, so I, well I with like their like character relationship it's, I like all of that I'm not against that my problem is that it's missing an just a, a nuance it's missing one little piece of nuance well, that sells the absurdity. We're still you, in what worked here, Tim. So I know. you want to get into yeah. what did not work then with that? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> all right. Here we go. After all that worked, here is what did not work. It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? Okay, so when you're selling absurdity, I personally think for it to work for for me, this is a taste thing, so whatever, but for it to work for me, I think that there is nuance in selling absurdity. So, for example, I think this gag completely could have worked with one very simple added line. Not even line. Line and action. Nuance. Uh, when she sets the pie down, 
or whatever it is, pastry, whatever the fuck she made. If he takes a bite and goes, oh my God, this is so, this tastes amazing. So he has a shift and then he takes a gigantic, huge bite, like too big of a bite, like shovels it into his mouth. And she goes, you might want to slow down. Like there's nuance to that, right? Like there's sort of this tongue, like you're adding to the tongue and cheek, but you're supporting the next beat by having it be kind of ironic, right? Like he's garfing down this thing and she's telling him to slow down, knowing that there's razor blades in there. So when the razor blade thing happens, it's supported by this little touch that we get behind because it is absurd. He like like if he were to shove the whole pie in his mouth. He doesn't even have to say like it could he's being a jerk so you could you could go in that direction of him being like she was like can you you know he could say I don't want your stupid pie and she could be like oh come on like why are you such a jerk and he's like oh you want me to I'll eat the pie fine I'll eat it and like shoves the entire thing in his mouth and chews real deliberately like there's nuance in that depiction that then gets us to the absurdity of the thing and is supported like we feel the catharsis of him having his neck you know chewed up by the the razor blade without those little touches it just seems it just feels flat and absurd to me and so like my i guess what i'm getting at is i want more of those little touches especially in an absurd film. And I think that's actually what makes movies like Evil Dead work so much is that there is this underlying almost acknowledgement of the campiness. Like that's what makes Bruce Campbell so, so good is that he's kind of nodding and winking while fully committing to the absurdity of it. Like the scene in Evil Dead 2 when he kind of loses his mind and he's like dancing with the lamp and the the deer head on the wall is laughing like that. He's fully in, but we feel this sort of, there's, it's supported by a nod to the absurdity. I think, yes, Sam Raimi and co, the sort of filmmakers, they can make something at the level where they're thinking things through more on that level that sounds like (laughs) you want. Yes. But this is just a completely different kind of appeal for me. Like you said, it's like, what did you just say? You said it's um, flat and simple or wait, what? Yeah, essentially. That's what I like about it. It's just like, it's, it's, I, I don't know. They, I I just don't compare them in their mind. They're very different appeals for I me. I think this, this is generational. Mm-hmm. This, that moment feels like an episode of Goosebumps to me. <laughs> and I don't think those are interesting or appealing because I, I was over, I was over aged for them. Mm-hmm. And so, but you're like pocket Goosebump, <laughs> right? Like for real. <laughs> and so I think that that's a big part of what where the taste lies is that there's a generational thing like you know our our friends well mo in particular is 
she's your age, right? I think you guys write about the exact same age. And she, she told, she's like, I love this movie. She loves, like, she, I think more than, it's, I think it's generational. She likes, or your generation, we're what, eight years apart or something like that? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just the next thing. Oh, Where I, you were, you were at the younger age when you were seeing some of these things. Yes, I, I can see how that, I feel like that is a trend that can be true for the kind of appeal that this film is. Yet at the same time, I feel like I've talked to people, <laughs> it feels weird, it's in your older generation, whatever. If Ancient. You're, yeah. <laughs> Wait, no, would you, are you, do you consider yourself a Gen Xer or like an x lineal is the in-between? Yeah, I'm, that, I'm in that in-between four or five years, whatever. But so. there's something about being closer to like, when these people were around that I feel like this film would have a different appeal for. Like, I don't know. There, there's there's a punk aesthetic to it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I would just, I went, maybe those reasons you're giving, there's like a divide there. But as far as this film in particular, I feel like could hold specific appeals for um, people your age or older. I think there is something, maybe this is just me actually. But when I think about nostalgia, my nostalgia is so rooted in things prior to 84. Mm. And I think that's because like some really critical like visual ideas or like identity ideas were formed, right? Like I was born in 78, the end of 78. So really like 80 to 84 is that super influential developmental pocket i see what you're saying that year it's that's the nightmare on elm street year and i think that that nightmare on elm street represents a sort of a it feels like a good transitional point between the 70s and the 80s i think you're right aesthetics because you think like poltergeist 82 feels like a 70s movie still yep exactly like everything that those people are kind of wearing driving just the aesthetic like all of the sort of style uh, even the style of the archetypes, like how they're kind of framed, reminds me like when so I also grew up, I moved from the Midwest in 84. So I left this fairly specific kind of region and moved east. Right. And so like, I think that helps kind of... uh enhance the nostalgia of not only the era but the region as well like they like <laughs> southern indiana in 1982 is a pretty specific thing <laughs> you know yeah like the commercials that we had like those things and and being in that age range of development when you're you're seeing those things for the first time right you're absorbing them for the first time so they are they are so imbued in in some sort of like thing that your brain is processing mm-hmm. that, you know, I think the strength of the nostalgia is is so tied to the era that you were two, three, four, five, six. Yet though, you're, you're going on about, you know, and I feel like I've observed with you, you're... Uh, your love of all like 80s movies like when we get into um though no no new year's evil was like 1980 
um, what am I thinking of? I don't know. Just like it, wh- in not- search of darkness, like even all the the mid and late eighties movies. Like I feel I I thought I I thought you were into all that. I am, and I'm not. I mean, it's kind of it'd be interesting actually to go through and kind of pick it. You know, throw I'll just do like a binary comparison. Be like yes, no, yes, no, and see where the the um the years land. You probably preference for earlier eighties over. I would assume 80s. so, but it'd be an interesting experiment. You I know, could do it. It's true. Like I do have a certain um uh, or films of the era of like there's this sweet spot of like late eighties to early nineties films like that yeah. just I hold near and dear, or just something about again, you can't make it if you tried today style of like Demon Wind, uh Dolly <laughs> Dearest. Yeah. yeah. Um a lot of you know society stuff like that. I right, just, I just love. It is an interesting thing. I think that that stuff for some people has carries even more weight, and maybe that's just me. Like maybe I'm way more, I don't know, uh, affected by these little these little things. I don't know. Well, what else can you say didn't work? Well, <laughs> I mean, I guess I kind of said it's just like the there's the the kind of the lack of like an underneath story mm. bummed me out because I was kind of excited to get we had a little of the relationship stuff of like you were uh, what what were her boyfriend isn't actually interested in her mm-hmm. there was that I guess I mean that's really thin but you, something more there's a little background of wasn't it like the Native Americans on this land yada yada there was that whole speech the, the 30 seconds of like yeah yeah <laughs> But it's, it's, yeah, it doesn't, it's, it feels, I don't know, it doesn't work. It, 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 it's the right idea, but we don't explore it enough. And it certainly doesn't impact any of the action. Mm-hmm. I think that's my problem. That's really it. If you're going to have lore, let's have it come back around mm-hmm. somehow, like have it help you solve the problem, have it. No, I thought there Something. was going to be the big like set because they set it up so obviously at the beginning. Oh, there's a underground stream around this whole. And I thought there was going to be this like underground stream sequence. Absol- absolutely, <laughs> you got to run away from the demon, have the demon itself manifest, and chase them through an underground sewer stream tunnel. Something mm-hmm. that would be awesome. I would be so into it. But instead we got this, you know, projection map of a weird, lame, not (laughs) non-designed, designed demon. Uh, I like that demon, how that looked, the the weird (laughs) face, the weird like skeleton face monster thing. The problem is is that it's lacking a defining feature for us to latch onto. It was weird. I don't know. It's weird, but it's like, when I try to think of it, I'm like, what? Do I remember? No, but nothing. I will give you that as far as the ending, it, it fell a bit into the like, they run here, then they run here, then they run yeah. there. Yeah. It doesn't have that, like, you know, my recommendation one or two episodes ago, I did a House of a Thousand Corpses. Mm-hmm. That's like all about that exactly. It goes to this weird new terrain, underground That's lair right. area. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the closest they kind of came to like, oh, we're, you know, in, in, 
basic story structure, you have this idea of like you start with the thesis, you go into the antithesis, upside down world, and then you go the third act is your synthesis of mm-hmm. those two things, right? That's basic thing. There is no synthesis really in this movie. We kind of go from the thesis to the upside down world and then just stay in upside down world the whole time. Mm-hmm. That's it. We don't really get to another thing that kind of encapsulates the broader whatever, even if it's like, I don't know what it would be in this movie. I think that's a big failing, right? There's no, what's the theme of the movie? Is there a theme? (laughs) Don't be a teenager? Just the fact that it's not on that level, though, is so refreshing to me. (laughs) You know, I love it. It's just, just put it up there. Just, it's all great. Well, it's... But it's not great. No, no, and I... (laughs) I, I agree with you. What as you far like as, is that it's not great. Yeah, but but as far as I do agree, like the the last third it feels like it's where we're expecting a little something more uh, clicking together, set piece wise. Even if it yeah, doesn't building on a clear theme, just some sort of escalation or differentiation. I think the theme is teenager from the filmmaker's point of view. <laughs> this is what I think they think the theme is: teenagers are assholes, but so are old people. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, wait, everyone's an huh? asshole. Everyone's an asshole. No, it's interesting with movies like this. There is um, where you feel like there is a certain cynicism towards people. But at the same yeah. time, like so much love for people comes out in the filmmaking and itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, yeah. I don't know, man. It's. It's shallow, I think, is what what I would overall kind of land on. It's just shallow. It never really digs anywhere below a surface cliche uh, in any in any department. It never really goes somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it that's it's really hard for me to like a thing that is on that level. Even if it is dumb fun. Can we, uh, do you have anything else that did not work? Or can I use that transition to things to know it? I want to ask a follow-up The question. only other thing I have is that if you were to put a lighter in front of a gas line like that, I don't know this to be true, but I feel like you just explode. Actually, that was a highlight for me too. I loved her <laughs> like using it as a flamethrower. I can think of like three examples. Anytime you get like the heroine shooting a flamethrower, sure. flamethrower like thing at the bad guy, That's I'm fair. such a sucker for it. <laughs> okay. Great. Cool. All right. For our next section, then wrap it up with things of note. This should be interesting. All right. So I guess my follow-up question for you, what you were just saying, and this isn't working, or it's it's still not totally good, da-da-da. Like this and Demon Wind. I don't know. Like what... Is there anything on this level where like you can get the appeal that I'm describing where where you can have one of these movies where it does work for you, but it's still not on the level of like an evil dead, you know, where the filmmakers are at a certain, you know, have a certain sensibility of thinking things through. 
Like, is it just that you just happen? I mean, I get it. You just prefer those movies. But at the same time, I, I separate them in my head. You know, it's, it's different appeal for me. So is there anything out there you've seen that's like a 1988, you know, close <laughs> to like Demon Wind, Night of the Demon, that for some reason it has like, even like a Troll 2 or something, you know, because that goes so just, is this so consistently I mean, may, maybe the closest I could say, but I still, I, they they fall closer to my distaste of that style would be Reanimator or Return of the Night of the Living Dead. I know you loved From Beyond. I did. I did love From Beyond, but that feels that feels like an artist's thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that. Yeah, that's interesting. Clearer vision is what I think it comes down to. I don't think Night of the Demons has a clear <laughs> vision. <laughs> I don't really think that um, Demon Wind Demon Wind has a clear vision. It has a vision, <laughs> but not a clear one. But I think that From Beyond has a very clear vision. Okay, but you take an extreme example of like a Troll 2 where... God, I don't even remember Troll okay. 2. Well, you should... Always be. Is up that on the it. one that starts with the sorcerers? Um. Yes. Okay. I guess I. I kind of remember. It. You gotta <laughs> I don't remember see it where again. it goes. Anyway, we'll forget that. You don't know it. Um. I remember troll. Troll. The first troll is great. Yeah. I love both trolls. <laughs> the first troll is the one that has um, Harry Potter Junior. Harry Potter. The character's name is Harry Potter. Oh, the dad is Harry Potter. The dad's Harry Potter Sr. Yeah. The son's junior. We have Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It's, it's fucking Atreyu. It's it, the kid from The NeverEnding Story. Is it? I know. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus is in it. Sonny Bono's in it. Anyway, this is not about yeah. Troll. This is about but Night of the Demons. But wouldn't it be fun if it was? <laughs> well, then we should do a Troll, a double feature. That'd be fun. <laughs> uh, but for now, other things of note. Tim, uh, the title card mentioned at the beginning. I like that. That whole sequence. I think that's really cool. So yeah, it was great. It's fun. Animated, all that. Apparently it was very difficult for them to do. You know, it's all practical as all these different elements mm -hmm. on top of one another. So the original title of this film and the working title through most of the production was Halloween Party. Okay. But they decided, they thought it was some legal thing about them having to say... Oh you know, this is definitely different from Halloween right, and not building right. on that. They're just safer going with something else. That's a terrible title. Right? Night of the Demons is way better anyways. Seriously. But what was great though, so Halloween Party, they made that full animation mation sequence, the opening titles with it, with that original title. Oh, so shit. what they did, they read it like, oh shit, what do we do? We changed it. We, you can't redo it all. So all they did, they basically just pasted the new title over it. So like <laughs> I noticed I noticed that it had a nice like what do you call that that the uh drop shadow is just a solid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so luckily uh Night of the Demons was plenty big and you can see the demons is like really big in the opening title. <laughs> that was to cover the title Halloween Party on the literal opening title. <laughs> wow. It's this is so fun cuz you think nowadays it's just 
you just type in a different thing or whatever, you know, right. it's all digital or you erase it, draw it again. But this is just, no, it's a physical thing. They spend a bunch of money making and last <laughs> minute have to come up with that fix. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Did I, you have- I can't really say that I have anything. I don't know. I mean, just. That was my big It made one. money. Tell you yeah. that much. Well, enough for it tripled its budget. Tim, there's a That's second one and a third one and a remake. That's right. We could have a whole. I what the night- remake is like. We could have a whole Night of the Demon quadrilogy. Is anybody? Oh, Edward Furlong is in the remake. So is um her name's Monica something. Monica from- Kina. Yeah, from um Undeclared. I like that show. Oh, I never watched that. Oh, Shannon Elizabeth. You remember her? Of course. She's an American Pie scary movie person. What about her? She's the, She's the lead, it looks like. Well, great. Maybe we'll watch it someday. Yeah. And parts two and three. I don't know if Tim's going to rush know. out to rent those. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I certainly would love to. Well, what are you going to put on in your party after Night of the Demons? Demon Wind? <laughs> Probably. Okay. <laughs> Great. That sounds about One of right. those uh, Giallo movies. Ooh, yeah. Cool. All right. Have well, we watched Inferno yet? No, that's sort of last that's on That's the our... last one. Okay. I'd like to watch yeah. that. Uh, great. If that's it for Night of the Demons, we'll wind down here with our recommendations for the week. Hmm. Tim, would you like to recommend Dead to myself and our listeners? Anything? Well, I'll tell you what I don't want to recommend Dead is uh, The Conjuring. I know we talked about it last time. Ooh. Um, Loki. So the new Marvel s- series, I guess. Yeah. On Disney Plus has arrived. Mm-hmm. And it's called Loki. It's about Loki. You know, mm-hmm. Prince of Asgard. <laughs> uh-huh. Thor. Uh-huh. Odin's son's brother. Lofi Lauferson. Loki Lauferson? Yeah, because Lofi who is a frost giant, is actually Loki's dad. Don't worry about it, Ryan. It's not important. <laughs> I'm worried about it, Tim. <laughs> anyway, this it's very cool. The style of how it's shot and like, it's just cool. It's it's time travel. It's It's dimensional stuff. It's like so many things that I love. And it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it's, you know. Does it plug in all that well? Are there fun oh, things? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think someone who hasn't isn't all in it could enjoy it? Um Yeah, probably actually. It it gives kind of context of things that happened in the movies enough for you to be like, all right, I get it. Yeah. But man, its style is so cool. cool. It's got this like retro God, what would that be? I guess that's like a 70s analog kind of design style that's really cool anyway i think it's cool the new episode is out today i need to watch it later tonight i still want to watch one division is that you should watch that that was good as a whole yeah it's cool. fun great i am going to recommend dead i revisited for another a recommendation from a friend uh gave a, a second second shot at both Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Oh, man. After seeing them in theaters when you're just kind of like expecting a new Alien movie and they're so weird. Yeah. uh, It's kind of, they're just kind of weird and whatever and you forget about them. 
but I watched them again. I think they're amazing. Both of them. Okay. They're, the, the weird that they are, are is like really unique and cool. The the characters, like you do get involved enough that these death sequences are really amazing and yeah. gruesome that yep. happen in them. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's such a, it's it's an original weird world that like Ridley Scott made. And it's, it's kind of, I, I guess I'm still not into the stuff as far as like, how it directly connects to Alien, like I don't know, it's that's kind of weird. But if you really can like look at it as its own thing, mm-hmm. it's I was I was really into it. I thought there was yeah, really eerie, interesting, moody, uh, interesting ideas were tense. I, I really were in, was into them. Both that's uh, cool. Prometheus and Alien Covenant are my recommendations. I went back with the sole intention as an exercise to break down Prometheus to see why I thought it didn't work. And I, it, it, to me, I I really like the first two thirds of that movie so, so much. And I was like, well, then why doesn't the last third work? And I came to this conclusion that there's like one if not two scenes missing from Prometheus that the audience needs for the movie to work. And they just aren't there. And I find it really fascinating, like why that may be, because it could be for so many reasons, mm. but we see movies where we've, we've said that, right. Where we go, Oh, it's, it's so close, but they just did it. They, they needed this like one little thing for us to go, Holy shit. And I just love, I, as an exercise, I just think it's so fascinating when you can when you can identify it, or you think you can. At least I have like my theory that that there's an identifiable almost moment that doesn't happen in Prometheus. And then what that brings me to conclude is as at least ponder is like when you are the writer and director, but or either. And you have this clear vision of what you're depicting and you're being obtuse because you don't want to hand feed the audience. There's this very, it seems, a very fine line. And like, it's fascinating to me that a movie can be made or broken in a lot of ways by that singular decision for almost a, it can, can come down to a moment that you withhold. And we say this about the reverse being like, oh, if they had hand or spoon fed, what am I trying to say? Yeah, spoon fed us this thing, we wouldn't like it. So it's like, I just think it's fascinating that like- Or we didn't like it because they did spoon feed. Exactly, like the success of a movie subjectively so often can lie in just this uh, like moments. And like maybe that's what's interesting and fascinating about filmmaking in a, right as a whole but well man if when it does come down maybe this is where it comes down to taste is like if when in doubt you have to air one way or the other i will always be on the obtuse side <laughs> that's interesting, interesting right like yeah. that's a, such a taste thing i feel like i generally would would agree mm-hmm. um but for prometheus yeah i was like oh all they had to do is say one line mm. in this one spot and then we know, we know the threat. But now that it's not that, 
I don't know. I, it, I think it makes a pretty cool double feature, the both of them. I do too. So. I think once you let go of, like you said, the attachment of it trying to like tie in and and like the expectation of an alien movie, they are fun. I mean, how many like... And the characters I, do some dumb shit in, in I, Covenant in particular, but whatever. It's as if they used the its connection to the alien franchise as a way to convince the studio to like give the money to make an original sci-fi film <laughs> yeah which yeah. is just we're at such a, a lack of now you know like i've got two sci-fi concepts that i would oh man someday well hopefully the market is in your favor <laughs> <laughs> that'd be nice <laughs> uh well next we gotta decide what we're watching next week Okay. You got our hat for us? Sort of. Okay, great. But not really. Is it your turn? Mm, No. No, it's your turn. It's my turn. Right. I'm almost certain it's your turn. All right. So I'll tell you when to stop. Um, Yeah, but like, um, hold on. Here we go. Whenever. Stop. (laughs) Oh, no. One of my favorites, <laughs> Damien Omen 2. <laughs> yes. You've seen it? Oh, yeah. Dude, <laughs> it's been a while. Awesome. <laughs> uh, my friend who's a listener, Jesse and I, this was a really big one for us. Really into the I Omen got so movies. into the Omen movies <laughs> well, at th- some th- point. I don't remember how old I was. Great. Awesome. We'll be able to go on all about our love <laughs> for it then. Come next week. Yeah, you should. At Dismembering Horror. You can find us wherever you found us. We got an email, dismemberinghorror at gmail.com. We got an Instagram. But as I said, you can find us wherever you found us. Our big ask is if you enjoyed being here, why not tell a like-minded friend? That'd be great. But tell, Actually, can you please tell somebody who is not like-minded? <laughs> just, just go on and on about it until they tell you to shut up. And then they'll just have to listen to it <laughs> yeah. and become a horror fan. No, really, though. Either way, we're happy to have you here. We appreciate having you here. Do we ever. Great. Well, in closing, be careful when throwing Halloween parties with your friends when you're holding those seances. And thanks for listening. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.